Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. And alongside me, as always, we have TalkSport's Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And we're joined by the former Chelsea defender, Scott Minto. Here's what's coming up on the show. Caicedo, in particular, just not lived up to any of the, uh, the hype that's come his way. Both of them are very young boys, and I think that is worth pointing out. But it is, it's been a real struggle for them. It's been a massive step up for them, and they, can't ha- they haven't handled it at this moment in time. The script hasn't been written yet, Sam. You know, there's still the potential for Liverpool and even Arsenal to, to win the Premier League and if people everyone just thinks and I know Jurgen Klopp won't and I'm sure Mikel Arteta won't but if the players think here they come they're coming up behind that you know they've got no chance I think Newcastle have got an ownership group who want to invest money but they're being hamstrung from doing so and that doesn't seem fair when the likes of Chelsea can go spend a billion pound based on historic financial success the same with Manchester United I think it's a it's a pretty decent signing for Spurs. I really do. When everyone's fit, does he start? Well, that's whether we find out whether he's on form or not and whether he's scoring. But if he doesn't, he's a good guy to come off the bench. They're looking to recoup somewhere in the region of 20-odd million pounds. Is anyone going to pay 20 million pounds for Jordan Henderson in the January transfer? I think it's difficult. Hello, Scott. Good morning to you. Good evening. Good afternoon. Wherever you are around the world, hello, Scott. Um, you uh, had a good midweek? Yeah. Fortunately, I was around um, sitting at a glass of wine, uh, sharing a bottle of wine, watching the Chelsea game with my dad. Uh, so that wasn't a good watch. But I thought it was a really good game. Um, and I thought Fulham played really well at Anfield. So um, I have to say, both second legs are, are set up perfectly, aren't they? Yeah, do you know what? It was interesting. I spoke to Marco Silva after the game last night and um, I said to him, was the problem that you lost your composure in the minutes after conceding the first goal? And he said, absolutely. Um, They went to absolute pieces after conceding that goal. And actually, in the end, Crook, they were quite lucky that they only came away with a one-goal deficit. After defending relatively well for, for, for 70 minutes or so, actually... After that, Bernd Leno had to dig them out of the fire. Yeah, he did. Uh, continuing what, by and large, has been an excellent season for him on a, a personal level, bar- barring that game at Bournemouth on Boxing Day when he seemed to lose his mind. Uh, but he's been just about one of the most consistent keepers in the Premier League. And if they can overcome this deficit, and I think they'll be reasonably optimistic ahead of the return leg at Craven Cottage, they can do that. I think they're going to owe their goalkeeper a big debt of gratitude. But once again, I think it... It emphasises the fact Liverpool still heavily reliant on Mo Salah when it comes to goal scoring. Um, yeah, I th- do you know what I thought? I thought last night, and it was quite interesting speaking to Jurgen. Jurgen said afterwards, "Do you know what? The first half we were sulking 
We were sulking. We got there. We turned up. We went out. We thought, oh, they're playing a low block. Oh, we can't get past them. Oh, we haven't created any chances. Instead of actually doing something about it, we just were moaning for 45 minutes. He said at halftime, we changed this, changed that, moved this person here, decided that he said no formation in the world can repel a team forever. You have that there will, will be spaces. The issue is you're not playing in the right spaces. He said we kept just funneling ourselves into traffic. So we had to find the areas where we could exploit their gaps. And once they'd done that, I mean, they found them with regularity. I thought the introduction of Cody Gakpo and Darwin Nunez changed the game. Absolutely. Um, and I listened to that interview as well afterwards, Sam. And, and he's right. He tweets a few things of the players that are on the pitch. But the two players that came on, I thought, made a massive difference. They really did. And they just looked much more direct. And, and you're right. Look, I, I think before... Liverpool got the equaliser, and it was a bit of a fortunate equaliser. Fulham could have been two or three nil up, you know. And to think that the tie could have been over by uh, at the end of the first leg, but in Fulham's favour, although you would never say that with Liverpool, of course, with better finishing or composure and the ability to get your head up, Fulham could easily have scored a second or third. But that's the key thing, yeah, isn't it? It, was, it wasn't necessarily the finishing; it was the it was the pass before what could have been a yes. great chance. It was, yeah. it was, it, it, it was it an was, opportunity rather than a chance. Yeah, it, it was the ability to look up and to know what's ahead rather than just focusing with your head down. And if, you know, Bobby Dick or David Reid was able to do that, then we could be sitting here in a, in a very different situation. Liverpool very much under pressure. But look, I, I still feel Liverpool are favourites to go through. But I think the fact that there's only one goal difference... You know, and the way that Fulham played, and don't forget how well they played at Craven at, at Anfield earlier in the season as well, not that long ago, where they were three two up late on. I thought it was a foul for for Trent's winner for four three. They give Liverpool problems, so it's game on there. And I'm actually doing that game for Talk Sports, so I'm really looking forward to it. Oh, okay, okay. So it's me and you, is it for that game? That'll Absolutely. Be good. We'll, have, we'll have the dream we'll team. Have fun. Right. Okay. Keep your evening free afterwards, Scott. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> <laughs> I have a plan for you, my friend. Uh, right, okay. Uh, shortened schedule this week. Um, the winter break um, is here, allegedly. Uh, so let's get started. Just five Premier League games. The battle for supremacy, funnily enough, in West London. Advantage Middlesbrough. Going to West London in a fortnight's time. That's not acceptable. You know, at this level with a team like Chelsea and the money that they've spent. I know this game. I've watched it dozens of times this season. And now we need to think in the in Fulham and of course after Fulham to prepare the second the second Straight leg. to Palmer and he smashed it in the goal from inside the 18-yard box. Could they get 6th and 7th and start building, you know, something that their fans are going to react to? Squares into the centre and Iwobi is there to tuck it in, six yards from goal. If you ask me if I want more, of course I want, is what I demand from everybody around around myself and, and, and me as well and you are going to fight for it. How about this? Fulham 2, Arsenal 1. I'm not here to analyse Chelsea and what you have been doing. My focus is in the Fulham football club. Well, we didn't talk about Chelsea much midweek there because we're going to do it now. They take on Fulham this week. Um, Crook, um, what, 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 what's, what word best describes Chelsea uh, from Tuesday night's game against Middlesbrough? Embarrassing, dreadful... Impotent, what? How, where, what are we going with? Profligate. Ooh, someone's been reading a dictionary. 
I, I hesitated there. There was a little bit of a gap in my thinking of the next word, and I wonder whether that gave him the opportunity to get the thesaurus out. <laughs> but you know what? Expensive for me uh, because all of my wages on the game surrounded Cole Palmer getting himself on the score sheet, and uh, I should have been a very rich man. But, I mean, I'll tell you what, his finishing was absolutely atrocious, wasn't it? But you're not surprised, are you? Because you never quite know what you're going to get from Chelsea you would fancy them even one nil down to win the second leg, but equally, if they're as poor in front of goal, wouldn't surprise you if Middlesbrough got the job done. And I tell you what, them two midfield boys are struggling. Fernandez and Caicedo really struggling. Yeah, very poor. I thought on the night, and Caicedo in particular just not lived up to any of the uh, the hype that's come his way. Both of them are very young boys, and I think that is worth pointing out. But. It is, it's been a real struggle for them. It's been a massive step up for them and they can't. Ha- they haven't handled it at this moment in time. I'm not giving Cole Palmer any stick. This is a kid, Scott, who has single-handedly probably saved Chelsea over the course of the, the season so far. Yeah, but that's because you had financial interest in it. That's your own fault. Um, <laughs> um, he, he single-handedly saved Chelsea on too many occasions. He d- he's okay. It's okay for him to have one bad game. Yeah. Um, Conor Gallagher similarly you know look, listen he tried as well but he's not really a number 10 in a team that isn't pressing I always think with Conor Gallagher he can play in that number 10 position if you're playing Arsenal Manchester City Liverpool when they have the ball and you're trying to press them that's his best position because he leads the press mm. from the front and he rats around but then when he is responsible for trying to to create and to be the, the playmaker that's not really his game so I, I don't understand why they, they utilise him in that way there um, so, so what happens here because and Kunku has got another injury. He might be back, possibly. Well, they're desperate for him to get back into the team. But again, they just look like, they don't look like a team, do they? Well, you know, again, how long we got? And this isn't the Chelsea podcast, but I could go on for hours. Look, I actually quite like the idea of Cole Palmer as a false nine. And if it had put away a couple of those chances that he should have done, then the game, the tie would be looking very, very different. But... I'm absolutely with you. We cannot have a go at Cole Palmer, one of the many youngsters that have come into the Chelsea side, but one of the very few that has actually lived up to its his billing. Look, I, I, I was I did the Preston game for Talk Sport. Um, Brozier scored, but he he didn't hold the ball up in the way that you'd want your, your centre forward to do that. Uh, I don't think he's Chelsea's answer. Uh, believe it or not, I don't think Nicholas Jackson is Chelsea's answer. Not in the the short to medium term. But Nkunku is a big one because he looks he looked great in preseason. He looked great with Nicholas Jackson. I think Nicholas Jackson could be a better player with Nkunku in the side as well. But with you know him picking up injuries, and it happens all the time when you have a long term injury, the rest of your body's not quite up to playing that kind of first team football. So you're always picking up little niggles elsewhere. But yeah, you look at Caicedo. He's the one who's disappointed me so much. He's not doing the job that he should be doing. And it's all very well asking creative players to where the pressure's really on in the final third to do their job. But Kai Sado should be doing his job a lot better. And that goal against Middlesbrough was a perfect example of it. So, again, it's another example of Chelsea just going, spending far too much money on too many potential young players, not enough leaders, not enough senior pros. And it's going to take time for it to turn around. I could go through the whole team and, and put a question mark over pretty much everyone who played in that game on uh, Tuesday night. It was such a poor performance. and and But I do want to say this. Credit to Mickey Carrick and credit to Middlesbrough because, mm. you know, he, they've had a tough time at the beginning of the season. Somebody else brought loads of players in. He, he, was, he, he was forced into using them. It didn't work, obviously, so he got rid of them and then 
you know, he, he sort of reshaped it again and bought in the, in the lot that he'd already had and tried desperately to, to fashion a team. And they've actually done much better as a result of that. Look where they are now. They're on the verge of getting to a Wembley final. I think they should be uh, certainly applauded, especially the performance of Isaiah Jones on that right-hand side who gave Levi Colwell a torrid, torrid time. Levi Colwell is another one who I think is struggling, and I don't necessarily blame him um, because he's not a left-back. You know, he, he excelled as a centre-back at Brighton last season. Did he? Had a big did decision. Really? Yeah, he did. In the games that he played, he excelled. Yeah, he, he was very good for Brighton. He played 13 Premier League games. Do you think that maybe that that has been over-egged a little bit? He started 13. It wasn't like it wasn't like he played 38 games for them. He played 13. That's not even half. Well, it took a while uh, for him to get a place in the team, but I think you'll find most of those starts came in the second half of the season when Brighton were pushing for Europe and achieving their best ever Premier League finish. And he looked a really good player. They were keen to buy him back. I think at one stage he was keen to come back, but then he was given assurances that he'd play under Pochettino. Not convinced he knew that would be as a left back. And yeah, I think it's really difficult when you're a young player at a club like Chelsea and you're trying to establish yourself and you're being asked to play week in, week out, out of position. And he he just looked like his confidence had been shot on uh, on Tuesday night for me. I, I don't doubt that that kid has got quality. I don't doubt that he's got potential to be a brilliant player. But actually, you know, did Chelsea overreact to his spell at Brighton or did they see something there? They thought, great, he's going to be superb and maybe he will be. And then just misuse him since he's been in the Chelsea team. And that's damaged his confidence. It, it's, it's made him look probably not as good as he is because he's being asked to do something that was unfamiliar to him. Yeah, look, it's it's so, again, so modern day society, isn't it? Where if someone plays 10 or 13 really good games, they're, you know, they're becoming an England international. They're either really brilliant or they're really rubbish. And no one's allowed to develop nowadays. And and I get it. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of money being spent. I agree with Crookie. I don't think he is a left back. And I think you're asking him to play in a position where, I mean, I just made a very quick note of the, the, the forwards over the years at Chelsea Big names who haven't done it, Shevchenko, Morata, Higuain, Havertz, Lukaku, Falcao, Crespo. Just a couple. And some of those okay are coming Torres, to the end of their career. But they're, Werner, absolutely. Seasoned international, seasoned senior pros that haven't been able to deal with the dynamic that, that Chelsea have. It's even more difficult now and even more difficult on top of that for youngsters coming in. So for Levi Colwell, I do think he's got great potential. I really do. You know, in the Euros, you covered him um, crookie. I thought he was brilliant. I thought he was the one player when the question was asked who could step up into the England major setup first team. Um, but he's been playing out of position in a, a time for a club that is massively struggling. So, uh, you know, I, I feel for him, but he certainly got, got done on Tuesday night. Um, one midfielder who has had an impact this season and a player who I think maybe Chelsea, Manchester United, Liverpool, many teams could deal with in could do within their team is Zhao Polina. Um What is the current situation with his transfers? Uh, because he, he signed a new contract after the Bayern Munich move didn't work out at the end of August, beginning of September. But he is terrific. I mean, he, he's so good at snuffing out danger. It's, it's unreal. I mean, I watched him on Wednesday night. It was brilliant. I've been banging on about him all season. The fact that Chelsea declined to sign him because he was too old in the summer seems anathema to me I just don't get it so 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 what is his current situation Crook? Well they're not the only ones um, in the Premier League who are of that 
belief at this moment in time. I know his advisors have been working overtime, offering to just about every big club in the division. At the moment, nobody's biting. And I think the age profile is a factor. I think that probably is a reflection of how worried clubs are at the moment by staying on the right side of profit and sustainability rules. In fact, one agent told me yesterday, 80% of the Premier League are up against it when it comes to financial restrictions. So at the moment, I think he'll stay. Uh, Bayern Munich's still keen, but they're not going to make a bid as we understand it from sources in Germany. So good news for Fulham. And, and obviously, if they were to get to a cup final, that would probably influence his decision as well, I would imagine. Yeah, um, interestingly, I thought one of Fulham's best players in, in midweek was was Willian. I thought he was terrific. He's 35 years of age. He's got so much ability on the ball. He influences that team superbly. And his quick feet brought about the goal. It was a really good finish, actually. Although I still question whether or not Virgil van Dijk should have got closer to him and made a, at least a challenge after giving away the initial header. He looked like he'd, he was dazed and confused during that period. Uh, but William, at 35, could come back and haunt Chelsea, Scott. I tell you what, you, you give it that little bit extra, Sam, when you play against your former clubs. And I thought he was brilliant at Chelsea. You know, he did really well. And I don't know what happened at Arsenal, but he's almost back in the Chelsea form now, isn't he? And he's 35 years young. And I tell you what, the way that Chelsea are playing at the moment, both individually and collectively as a side, he should be licking his lips at having a go at, the, at any fullback. <laughs> to be fair, I think Malagusto's a, a very good player at the moment. I think he's doing well in that right-back position. But is he going to play right-back? Is he going to play left-back? You know, where's he going to play? It'd be a good battle, whoever William's up against, because he's he's in great form at the moment. Uh, Chelsea against Fulham is live, 12.30 on Saturday, live on Talk Sport. Looking forward to that. Um, shall we have a look at Saturday's other fixture now? A battle between two of the richest clubs in the world. Newcastle won away from home last time out. They beat Sunderland by three goals to nil. And I thought their pressing was better. I thought they looked more controlled. I thought they dealt with the occasion really well. They were, it was a mature performance. I spoke, had a little conversation with Eddie uh, afterwards. And uh, I think he was pleased about the way they handled the occasion. And, and I think that's right. It will give them a lift. But the jumping class to Manchester City is quite something, isn't it, Crook? Yes, obviously. Um, although speaking to Newcastle fans, they're they're confident just given their their home record at St James's Park this season. And, and sometimes a cup tie like that can change the course of a campaign. And obviously Eddie Howe didn't take any chances with his team selection. He named just about the strongest lineup that he could, and they came out comfortable winners, which will which will help their confidence and just ease some of the noise, which I think was mainly being generated by the media. Actually, I think. Most people at Newcastle, the you fans are in the media. Know. Remember that you are part of the media. You know, so yeah, a, but don't, we, don't do the thing where you sort of say, Oh, the media is really out of order when actually you do most <laughs> of the transfer speculation. So, uh, you know, be careful, fella. No, fair. But what I, was, what I was trying to say is, I think most people within the corridors of power at Newcastle, certainly those based in the UK and the fans, definitely are still very much behind Eddie and his team. And obviously, they were the the great scenes with the photograph choreographed by Jason Tindall. Uh, my understanding <laughs> was he came up with that idea during the warm-up uh, to pose in front of the Newcastle fans, which just endears him even more to the Toon Army. So I, I think I think the noise will will quieten somewhat. And obviously, listen, it's a, it's a tall order. Man City, when I last saw them live against Everton, that second half, they just looked like they were finding their groove. I watched the game against Sheffield United as well. They were so dominant in that game. So it's hard to make a case for a Newcastle victory. But I think they're in a much better place now as a result of that 
Derby win. It was quite funny, actually. I went to the game on Sunday when they played Huddersfield and they were so already so very good in the game um, before they made the breakthrough. And then in the second half, when they were 3-0 up, they brought on Kevin De Bruyne off the bench. And you just thought, can you imagine being a Huddersfield defender and just sitting there thinking, we're 3-0 down to Manchester City and they've just brought on one of the best players in the world. And he comes on within about three seconds. He could have had a, he could have scored. And then he has an assist before he ends up leaving the, the field anyway. So, uh, terrific. Uh, they don't win at home against Manchester City very often, Scott. I think it's one win since 2004. Um, and Matt Ritchie scored the winning goal the last time they beat them at home in the Premier League. They did beat them earlier in the season in the Carabao Cup. Could that be a blueprint to success? Yeah, you, you, I mean, those stats, I, I do love listening to them. But you know what I think about stats that go back to 2004? Um, not many of those players that will be playing in the game um, would have played in 2004. So, yeah. Well, exactly. So so my point is, I think it is more relevant that what happened this season. I think it's more relevant St. James's Park, where I think they've won eight and only lost two uh, out of 10 games in the league. I think it was really important, that performance, as well as the win against Sunderland. I mean, boy, did they show uh, Chelsea how to go to a hostile atmosphere and, and control a game from start to finish. I thought they handled it brilliantly. And I think it will give them a lot more confidence. But yeah, it's a massive step up. It's a massive step up against a side that, you know, are they now just going to start clicking into gear? I think the fact of they're only five points away from Liverpool with the game in hand, Villa been great up there as well, but they're above Arsenal and Tottenham and, and, and pretty much everyone else. You know, they're ready to go. So I think this is a really good sign to see where Manchester City are mentally, psychologically, in terms of are they ready to go again? Look, I, I've stated from all season, if City win the title this year after winning the treble and do being the first club ever to win four straight top flight titles, this is this is unbelievable. It's a wonderful opportunity for the rest. But if City are able to do it, it just goes to show how good Pep is. And, you know, I, I, again, at some point, me and Crookie will go head to head a little bit as to who is the greatest manager ever. Um, I'm a great, um, really respectful of Sir Alex Ferguson, what he's done. He'll always be the number one in the Premier League. But Pep, he's created Barcelona without Liam Messi at, at Manchester City. And should we, um, should, should we... Should we leave that to the summer when we're really bored? It's like the dark week. No one's been transferred or something. Well, we've got like the Euros that. to come. Yeah, yeah. Well, all right. No, let's leave it to summer 2025. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Magpies have won just one of their last seven Premier League matches, whereas you've got Manchester City, who uh, are on a run of 17 games in which they've suffered just one defeat. The, the, the chink of light is, is that Manchester City actually have only kept one clean sheet in their last nine league games, Crook. I mean... Is there is there a possibility here that Newcastle can hurt them? Difficult. I think just based on what we know about Manchester City when it comes to the business end of the season, obviously Kevin De Bruyne is fit now. That's a little bit of a selection dilemma probably for Pep, bearing in mind how well Phil Foden played against Sheffield United in the last Premier League game. But it's a nice headache to have. We were expecting Erling Haaland to return this month, so there's a possibility he could feature as well. And I just feel like they've refocused. They've been away to Saudi Arabia. They've won that Club World Cup. And I feel like they believe they can really go on a run now and, and probably make it four titles in a row. So I think it's hard for Newcastle. 
Uh, interesting, isn't it? Because you think about um, Manchester City, and everyone's just assuming now, right? They've played quite well over the last couple of weeks. They're going to go on a run. They're going to win the league. They're going to come from behind, and they're going to make it four in a row. Um, but, you know, it's not a foregone conclusion, Scott, is it, that that is going to happen? I mean, our history sort of often predicts what's going to happen in the future. But we should probably sort of factor in that, you know, there's a, there is a possibility here that you know, they haven't been consistent all season. They've got some young players. They still haven't got Haaland back. One or two of them are not up to 100%. There's still an opportunity for but for Arsenal, who only really have to concentrate on the Champions League and the Premier League now, and for Liverpool as well to 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 to, to take a, a a charge to to Manchester City. Look, the script hasn't been written yet, Sam. You know, there's still the potential for Liverpool and even Arsenal to to win the Premier League. And if, if people, everyone just thinks, and I know Jurgen Klopp won't, and I'm sure Mikel Arteta won't, but if the players think, here they come, they're coming up behind, that you know they've got no chance, then 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 City will win it. There's every chance that we, that City will not win the Premier League. But I've said all season that they're my favourites. I still say they're my favourites now. Um, but no, there's no guarantees it could happen. As you go later on in the season, there could be more and more injuries. You know, we'll see what happens with the Champions League. Nothing set in stone yet. But the team that I've said all season again, that finishes above City, will win the Premier League. And I, I still fancy them. Um, but what we don't want is uh, Liverpool and Arsenal to react a little bit like the way uh, Ibrahima Kanate reacted when he felt someone bearing down on him and chasing him from behind and, and getting very close to him. That person um, was Andreas Pereira and he had a massive panic up and just kicked the ball out of play. Uh, we want Liverpool and uh, Arsenal to be a little bit more stoic than that. And when they hear that that thumping cascade of uh, of Manchester City feet running towards them they can just hold off that charge when they feel their hot breath on their neck they need to stay strong and give us a title race until the end of the season. Um, where do Newcastle sit in the pecking order of Saudi sports investments, Crook? Because obviously they've ploughed a lot of money into golf, to boxing, their own football league which really hasn't sort of taken off in terms of it hasn't really sort of permeated the consciousness of everybody else, has it? I mean I know that, I mean, I think there is television coverage, but it's not as if anyone's talking about it. It's almost been sort of like a, a bit of a Bermuda Triangle for some of the world's greatest players or those that have sort of come towards the end of their career. Um, no one really talks about it, apart from, you know, if you're moaning about the fact that Jordan Henderson's still in the England squad when he's playing in front of 639 at El and That's not a made-up figure. That's the sort of rough average of people who go and watch them. Um so, so where does where Newcastle sort of sitting in in their sort of portfolio? Do we think? No, I think they're they're, they're right at the top. Obviously, the issue you've got is is in football. There are stri- strict financial rules that Newcastle are keen to stay on the right side of, as I've already sort of alluded to, which makes it difficult. And listen, again, we could have this debate. We've had it before when it comes to FFP or profit and sustainability, as it is now in the Premier League. And I think it's an unfair system uh, because what it does is it, it stops new money, um, bringing success to clubs. Um, for example, if Jack Walker was to be the owner of Blackburn Rovers right now, I think it would be very difficult for him to repeat what he did back in the mid-90s because of these financial restrictions. And I think Newcastle have got an ownership group who want to invest money, but they're being hamstrung from doing so. And that doesn't seem fair when the likes of Chelsea can go spend a billion pounds based on historic 
financial success, the same with Manchester United. And meanwhile, Newcastle are almost scraping around and can't even afford a loan fee for Calvin Phillips. I think the whole system is flawed, to be honest. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think we've, said that we've sort of talked about a lot on this podcast that it is almost favouring those who have been around the longest and have already spent that money and had that initial seed money to, to get themselves up to the level which Chelsea have and Manchester City have. Um, but I also think that's the, one of the reasons why that ruling that um, went against UEFA and FIFA during the last month or so is actually really significant because I think I said to Crook at the time privately, you know, to stop worrying about the Super League, that, 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 that will not get off the ground, but something else will happen. It will be used as a negotiation tactic to, to change these FFP rules. Now, FFP in its purest form is, is a great idea. We want everyone to be sustainable. We don't want a Portsmouth situation. We don't want a Reading scenario because you know, look, look at how, how quickly they've plummeted down the leagues and, and their future has been put under threat. We don't want the Wigan scenario. You know, I was at Wigan on Monday night and they're in a situation, they were in a situation where they basically got lost in a bet uh, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a game of cards on one stage. And then on a second occasion, someone bought them. And on the day that they bought them, put them straight into administration. I mean, it was absolutely crazy. They were being used as a sort of pawn in an international game of politics. And Crook and I know for a fact that there was a similar situation down in Portsmouth where there was almost a little bit like Portsmouth was a sort of conduit for a group of people who had a few disputes internationally about other bits and pieces. And they ended up almost killing the football club as, as a sort of a result. It was almost like they were having a proxy war in, in, in Portsmouth over the future of the football club. So there's there's... There's, there's good method behind the FFP stuff and there's a good sort of and a moral compass that leads you to wanting to have it. But it can't stop people like Newcastle investing. Even to an extent, one of the reasons that Reading are in the problems that they're in is because Dai Young put so much money in and then was told he can't put any more in. And he thought, well, hold on, I've just missed out on promotion. So what am I going to do now? Just got to deal with the club that's, that, that, that's fighting against relegation. He lost interest as a result of that. Okay, that's his own problem, and he should have sorted, you know, been a little bit more pragmatic in the way he dealt with it. But they're they're, they're the sort of dangers, aren't they? How do you get around this? I mean, do do you sort of just make it the Wild West, Scott, and just say, just spend what you like, or do you have a free period when a new owner comes in where you've got the opportunity to re-establish your team as a, a big player by having an unlimited amount that you can in, invest over a, a small window? Yeah, look, I, you know, I, 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 you can't have the Wild West. You can't because you've mentioned uh, uh, just a few clubs of, of what's happened. And, and maybe off some of the back of those is because of FFP. But you could have anyone saying, you know, passing the, the fit and proper owners test and then a few years later, you know, just, just pulling out. Uh, you can't have that. I've heard Simon Jordan talk about when you first come in, you know, the first few years, you're able to kind of go for it or double that what is the, the number right now in terms of losses to, to show that you want to mark your intent. But it's about growing the club as well, isn't it? You know, it's it's a very difficult thing to do. And I'm really pleased Chelsea are where they are. And, you know, without Abramovich, they, they, they wouldn't. They wouldn't have had the last 20 years. It is a real balance. But the bottom line is, I just think, what is the best for English football in the long term? And as much as there's, there's the, the, I love watching the Premier League and it's without doubt the best league in the world. We know that every single Premier League club is in it for themselves. Whatever's the best, not just for a Premier League as an entity, but the individual club will vote for whatever is best for themselves. And if they're in the EFL, they'll vote, what, vote what's ever best for themselves in the EFL. 
So let's not take it out of their hands, but let's just try and look at the bigger picture and see what's best for English football. So I, I haven't got the answer, but I do think that Wild West is not the right option. If you can give people who want to come in a period of time to spend a lot of money, then fine. Then after that, that's it. You, you, you've had time to spend your money to build up the club from a commercial point of view. Kick on from there. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Okay, on to uh, Sunday now, where Spurs could be showing off their new faces away at Manchester United. They're not wasting any time in the window. And Ange Postecoglou told us that was going to be the case. He said early January signings. Um, talk to me about Timo Werner. Is he going to is he going to rip it up under Ange Scott? Um, I think he's he's another striker that I like, Doesn't and yet can't stick, the, can't stick the ball in the back of the net. You know. Um, we saw him, didn't we, at Chelsea? And 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 again, just a defender's nightmare. He's quick. He he can lead the press, which I think you know would I think fit into the style of play that Ange wants very well indeed. You know, he's quick. He can press well. Um, unfortunately, he can't do that most important thing: stick the ball in the back of the net. But I think with Son being out, um, and even when he comes back. I think we've always talked about Spurs' problem with their best 11. They're very good. But if you get a few injuries, then it's very difficult to play that way. Well, I think he fits into that Ange Ball style very well indeed. So I, I think it's a it's a pretty decent signing for Spurs. I really do. When everyone's fit, does he start? Well, that's whether we find out whether he's on form or not and whether he's scoring. But if he doesn't, he's a good guy to come off the bench. Nice to see that Mickey van der Ven is back from injury and is close to a return. They will need him. Um, who's going to test his hamstrings this weekend, Crook? <laughs> what you're asking where the pace is in the United attack. Listen, that's not necessarily an issue. Um, you know, Garnacho and Rashford have got that in their armoury. Um, the trouble for Rashford at the moment is the final decision-making, as we touched upon privately. Got himself in some good positions against Wigan on Monday night. Actually started that game quite brightly, but quickly reverted to type. He's become predictable. You know he's going to try and cut inside and get the shot away. And he's actually become quite easy to defend against. I thought Hoyland was poor in that game, missed a couple of big opportunities. So, yeah, this is a tricky one for United, who historically have got quite a good record in this fixture. Uh, but Tottenham, with a couple of fresh faces, I think will have a little bit of a spring in their step. Radu Dragasin should be completed by then as well. Will he go straight into the team? Potentially not. But I think Werner is... Um, 
Werner's a better signing for Tottenham than he is for Manchester United. I think if you go to Manchester United in this window, you're, you're going into a team that are low in confidence. They're performing badly. They don't really have an identity under the manager. Whereas I think at Tottenham, Werner will have all the tools to flourish. He's suited to the Postacoglu system, as Scott's alluded to. I think initially he'll probably play on that left-hand side while Son's away rather than as a number nine and probably that left wing berth coming in is his best position. I could actually see him quietly being quite a good January signing, to be honest, because what do you get in January? Very difficult to sign forward players in particular in this window. So if I was a Spurs fan, I wouldn't be too negative about that. And obviously Dragerson turning down Bayern Munich, his agent has come out on record and said, well, we can't believe we've done that, but they have. And I think that's a positive sign as well for Tottenham. What does that tell us about the Premier League, Scott? You know, that they've turned down Bayern Munich to play at Tottenham Hotspur. I think you hit the nail on the head within your question there. I think it tells us everything about the Premier League because Tottenham's a big club, but it's not Bayern Munich. You know, Bayern Munich is one of the biggest in the world. And if you're saying who are the favourites to win the Champions League, then you'd say Bayern Munich would be up there with Real Madrid and, and Manchester City. So the fact that he... he and I heard, I don't know if it's true or not, that actually Bayern Munich offered him more money. Yeah. So if he's, yeah. If he's turning down less money uh, or turning down more money to a bigger club to play for Spurs with the potential maybe of obviously getting a, a contract elsewhere or a bigger contract with them. Um, I think that says everything about the Premier League and where everybody wants to play. Do you think that it's because they promised him more game time at Tottenham or because Angie's just got a great personality? <laughs> the game time comes into it, I think, um, because what you know about Romero and Van, well, certainly Romero, he's going to get suspended. Obviously, he's picked up injuries. Van der Ven's been injured. So I think he will rotate those centre-backs. And what he's got now, he's got he's got four players. You know, if you include Davis, I think he sees more as a centre-back than a full-back that he trusts in in those positions. And obviously, the odd one out will be Eric Dyer, but maybe not a, a disastrous situation for him because he could well end up from being a, Tottenham reject to, to go to Bayern Munich, which is uh, an interesting one as well. Yeah, the the um, only thing I'd say to that, Sam, sorry, and and you're right, Crookie, and in terms of Ange and Tottenham's point of view, he wants strength in depth. We, you know, we've seen about how if one or both of the centre-backs uh, are out, then there's a problem. But what if they're not? You know, I, I'm a player. I don't want to go to cl- a club thinking I need one of these to either be injured or suspended to be playing. So that conversation he would have had with Ange, I think is very, very important. If he starts well, I'd be saying, okay, if I start and I'm playing and and they're fit, but I'm playing well, do I keep my place? Because otherwise you're hoping for a suspension or or an injury and that doesn't always happen. You won't have to wait too long for a suspension or an injury in that group, (laughs) mate. Honestly, trust me. Um, uh, Clear out happening at Old Trafford. We knew about Sancho, but Palistri and Hannibal look to be following as well. Uh, and they need to start sort of moving players on, don't they, really, at Manchester United? I mean, I'm not necessarily sure that Palistri and, and, and Hannibal are the ones that you need to move on. But, OK, maybe it's just a needs-must situation for Manchester United. I mean, I look back at the, their fixtures over the course of the last few weeks. And, and the truth is, is that prior to the trip to, to Wigan on Monday night, they'd won just two of their last nine matches I mean, that is, that's a terrible statistic. They're the fewest goal scorers um, at the top end of the table, in the top half of the table. They, 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 they really struggle to score goals, only six times in their last eight matches. Uh, and they failed to score uh, in five of their previous eight. This is all before Monday night. And that just shows you, right, that, that, that the issue is probably at that top end of the pitch. And we saw that with Hoyland on, 
on Monday. He missed a hell of a lot of chances. Another player who's going through a sort of confidence draining period. So, so what's the solution here? Should they not be looking for an experienced forward to come in and supplement that attack on loan until the end of the season? Can they even do that? I mean, look, I mean, what's Vout Veghorst do? <laughs> no, well, no listen, I think no one up for that. I think it's tricky because obviously we've had the situation with with Anthony Martial, and we, we ran this on the transfer notebook in, in midweek. United are finding it difficult to shift him because he's on massive wages. He's got six months left on his contract. He knows he isn't going to get that salary anywhere else. So I think he's content to sit on it and make himself very rich between now and the end of the season, knowing that he's probably not going to get much game time. Is From he what still I'm told, United Ill? haven't had a single... Well, Is he yeah, Ill? it'd be interesting, actually. It'd be interesting to, uh, to get... A... Illness? I, I have put that question to sources at Manchester United and uh, the feedback I got was you have to ask the manager, uh, which suggests to me that... Uh, <laughs> Maybe the illness has been overcooked a little bit, but let's see what Ten Hag says about it. But if Martial doesn't go, and from what I'm told, there hasn't been one inquiry for him direct to United, I'm not sure they will bring anybody in. Um, and actually, I'm half backing that because because what are they playing for? They're playing for the, the outside chance they win the FA Cup. They're not going to qualify for the Champions League. They're out of Europe. I think I said it a couple of weeks ago on this podcast. I, I'd make this bunch of players suffer it until the end of the season. You've got us into this situation. You try and dig your way out. And actually... For Eric Ten Hag, I think he needs them to do that to keep himself in, the, in a job. Because if results don't improve between now and the end of the season, I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe will have a big decision to make. Yeah, well, I don't think it's that big a decision, is it? Bearing in mind how how badly they've played over the course of the season so far. Uh, Tottenham has scored 18 goals in the last eight games. Um, so can they just outscore Manchester United in this match? Bearing in mind the lack of foul, firepower that Manchester United have displayed over the course of the season so far. I would have thought so. I mean, just on United, I do think, you know, Ten Hag can't afford to sort of say, well, OK, you you put us into this, you get us out, because he will be gone by the summer. But I think he's got injuries coming back now that, and key players that I think can make a massive difference. It's a massive six months for him or four months, whatever's left of the season. Otherwise, he is gone if they don't finish the season well and maybe win the FA Cup. Um, but in terms of Spurs, absolutely. You know, don't really want to be saying this being ex-Chelsea and West Ham, but I love watching them. You know, they're, they're a good watch. They're an exciting watch and they do score goals. And I think that, I think they, this is a really interesting game. You say about United having a good record against Spurs. Well, I fancy Spurs in this one because I genuinely believe that United and, at this moment in time are not able to, to keep up with this kind of intensity. And Scott, do you think that because you, of the tactics that Ange will employ, he'll play the high line, which you would think probably plays into Manchester United's hands. This is this is perfect for them. They are the best at counter. That they are at their best when they are counter attacking, in my opinion. But yet they don't seem to sort of play on that often enough. But yet you still believe that even if they do that, they won't expose it enough that Tottenham will be outscored in the game. You still think Tottenham will, will have the creativity to undo them. I kind of put United and Chelsea in very much the same situation at the moment where big clubs in a really bad situation and are not able to score goals and can miss big chances. So they will create chances. I think I think ultimately the answer of this game is the chances that United have, can they stick the ball in the back of the net? Now, you know, this season is suggested in the Premier League they haven't been able to do that. Spurs have been sticking the ball in the back of the net. The only thing I'd say about Spurs is that in the second half, when teams seem or they go down a bit and just five, 10% in that intensity, teams come at them. 
So if they are going to play with the high line, they need to be very, very careful because United do have pace. I just feel Tottenham, on the balance of everything, are, are a better side than United right now. Everton against Aston Villa is on Sunday. Everton stuttering after a good run of form. It's now three defeats in a row in the Premier League for them. Um, they've loaned another 50 million quid from 777 whilst they await their takeover to be completed. Why is this takeover taking so long, Crook? Um, <laughs> well, do you want a political answer or <laughs> the way I think well, it's going? The answer uh, would be uh, would probably be great. Uh, well, you, well, you don't well, think they're actually going to do it? Or are they are they are they waiting to find out what the outcome of the appeal is before they decide to part with their cash? Is that is that the truth? Uh, no, I don't necessarily think so because obviously they're ploughing quite a lot of money in in terms of loans already. So I, I don't think they'd be doing that if they if they were majorly worried about the status of that appeal. Obviously, Everton have hired quite a high profile lawyer, someone who's acted for Roman Abramovich. So they're going to give themselves the best possible chance of at least getting that points deduction reduced. I think the big concern has always been where the funds are coming from, you know, and I've been told by people who've had dealings with 777 that they just, they haven't got the the funds to necessarily complete this purchase. So let's well, see. I think they've, the they've, they've loaned them the money. So why, yeah. why would they not have the funds to, to be able to, to, to take over the club? Is it the fact that actually the, the, the Premier League are not going to ratify them? Is that the issue? Because they've had problems in yeah. the past. Yes, potentially. Although I think they have now been cleared by the, uh, financial conduct authority. So that's one that's hurdle, an initial problem, um, that, wasn't it? That they've overcome. But yeah, listen. Just people I speak to who maybe have had dealings with seven 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 before in terms of buying other Premier League clubs have just doubted their ability to complete this kind of takeover. So let's see. I hope for Everton's sake that isn't the case because I think obviously they really need these these funds for the stadium and, and probably to regenerate the squad a little bit as well, because if they don't get the points deduction overturned, then they are in big danger, aren't they? In terms of dropping into the championship, which would be a disaster financially. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, Villa actually dropped off in terms of performance over the course of the last few, few weeks. So they, they let a goal, um, they let a two goal lead slip at, at Manchester United. They drew with uh, Sheffield United. They only just beat Burnley by three goals to two. Uh, Everton have only lost two of their last eight home games that give, might give themselves a chance here. Dominic Calvert-Lewin is going to be available, Scott, over uh, after his um, red card was overturned. The, the one that he picked up in the Palace game with the assistant VAR, the support VAR and the VAR all thought it was a red card and not another member of the population did. Um, so funnily enough, that, that has been overturned. Um, so he's available, which is good for them. Uh, because he does, although he doesn't score that many goals, he does hold the ball up and run the channels and cause problems for central defenders. Can you see Everton eking out victory in this game? Do you know what? I think this is a really difficult one to call because, you know, just a few weeks ago, you're saying, our oh, Everton, even with the 10 points, they'll be top half and, you know, they'll be absolutely fine. Since then, it's it's not just been defeats in the league, but it's been some really bad performances. I watched the Wolves game and 3-0 flattered Everton, not Wolves. So they just want to try and edge away with Luton not giving up at all. They've got that game in hand as well, win that, and they go above Everton. So they just need to try and get back to winning ways. But Villa have fallen away, and they've fallen away in such a bad way, they're only second in, in the Premier League. It's it's amazing how the season they're having. But I do expect them, I said you know a couple of weeks ago, that I fancy them for fourth, or it's between them and Spurs for fourth. And if they get fourth, then they've done really well. 
So in terms of this particular game, you've, you've got an Everton side who I do think are lacking a little bit of confidence. It's pretty unaspiring. I think you were at the game, weren't you, in the FA Cup at, at Sellers Park. Before then, it was four straight defeats in all competitions. Up against the Villa side that are not quite at it as they were a couple of weeks ago. I think this game will depend on moments. Calvert-Lewin is a big one. Ollie Watkins is a big one. Let's have a shootout between those two and see who wins. Yeah, I thought actually Everton were much a better team against Crystal Palace. Um, and their problem was not finishing chances. That's That was an issue for them, not not being clinical enough in front of goal. If they can put that right, then they'll be fine. But that's a, a problem that a lot of Premier League clubs are dealing with. You know, creating chances, one thing, but sticking it in the back of the net seems to be another. If they do win Aston Villa, they'll go level on points with Liverpool, um, which means that uh, they will have a very nice and relaxing winter break as a result. Uh, let's move on to transfers. And Crooks had his notebook out. His phone's going crazy all, all over this uh, this period. Um Jordan Henderson, we mentioned earlier in the programme, there was sort of this floated kite this week suggesting that he would like to come back to European football. One, are there any takers? And two, are the Saudis going to let him out? In terms of takers, I think it's more likely that he ends up at a European club than back in the Premier League, um, mainly because of the the wages. Um, obviously, there's been varying figures reported as to what he's actually trousering in Saudi Arabia, but it's too much for most Premier League clubs. And I think also part of the reason he wants to leave Saudi is he wants guaranteed game time. He's a little bit concerned about his Euros place, bearing in mind that there's not an, another competitive game. And I'm losing, I'm using competitive in the loosest possible sense of the word in Saudi until mid-February. So I think he wants to go out and, and prove himself to Gareth Southgate. I know his advisors or people acting on his behalf have offered him to just about every Premier League club, to Bayern Munich, to Bayer Leverkusen, managed by another former Liverpool midfielder in Jabby Alonso. Napoli have been mentioned. Ajax seem to be showing the strongest interest, but I don't think it's an easy one for Henderson because if you look at the wages, the fact they paid a big transfer fee as well, big in Saudi terms because they don't really like paying for players, um, they're looking to recoup somewhere in the region of 20-odd million pounds. Is anyone going to pay... £20 million for Jordan Henderson in the January transfer. And I think it's difficult. Interesting, isn't it? Because who would have thought by, by going to Saudi Arabia, he would have put his European Championship place uh, under threat, Scott? <laughs> yes, who, who would have thought it? Um, a lot of these reasons, yeah, you look at the money. Um, did they do their due diligence? Uh, I, I don't know what's going on there. You know, I've heard Graham Soonis talk about, well, if, if his missus is saying one thing... Um, I'm a great believer in if you make a decision, you try and stick with it. Um, you don't back out, but we don't know the the reasons, the exact reasons of Jordan Henderson from a personal level as well as a professional one. It seems strange professionally with the Euros coming up, but I, look, I'm not going to knock him. Um, he took a lot of money and will have to pay a lot of tax if he gets back out of Saudi Arabia again. Right? I was going to say, I mean, listen, the one good thing about him coming back early is, is that the chance of the exchequer gets at half of everything that he's earned since he's been out there. Absolutely. Um, if he, if he, he has to stay until April 2025 in order to avoid paying that. So uh, there's a big bill coming his way and also a big sort of, I mean, we might be able to build HS2 after all. You never know. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sunderland winger Jack Clark is in demand uh, who buy though? Because I thought he would sort of flatter to deceive in the game against Newcastle. Yeah, he wasn't great, but then it wasn't a great Sunderland team performance, was it? So maybe he wasn't given the tools to flourish. I mean, he's had an excellent season for Sunderland. 
interest from both the Premier League and the top end of the Championship, as I understand it. Uh, certainly Burnley, uh, one of the clubs who've inquired. West Ham as well, I believe. And then the likes of Southampton, Leicester, who are obviously trying to get back into the Premier League at the first time of asking. But again, I, I think financially, the figure that I'm told Sunderland are looking for is around about £20 million. So are they going to get that in this window? I think it'd be a gamble for a player who, who hasn't yet played in the Premier League. Although, if you look at West Ham, they've got a history of doing it, haven't they, with um, with Jarrod Bowen? Similar profile. Yeah, I mean, listen, if anyone's going to be able to convert someone like that into a uh, a Premier League player, it will be David Moyes. Um, any other bits and pieces that we need to know about? Well, the reason I've been on my phone is that the Eric Dyer situation has kicked on this morning. He's actually landed in Germany to undergo a medical at Bayern Munich. So that, that movie is going to happen, a permanent deal. Oh, uh, hold, on a second. hold on a second. You don't know that because Jao Polinia went to Germany um, and he, he's still playing in the <laughs> Premier League. This is true. Uh, but I think Harry Kane has been pushing the, the claims of his mate from within the Bayern dressing room. And Thomas Tuchel has, has seen the Premier League as a sort of fertile hunting ground, hasn't he, since he went there? He's, he's targeted a lot of players um, from England. So, But what a move for Dyer from being outcast at Tottenham. And actually, I, I hope I hope he gets a good send-off from Spurs because I think he's been a really good servant for them. And, and maybe recency bias, it's easy to lose sight of that. But I, I think he can go with his head held high. And it's a dream move, isn't it? Scott's already mentioned it. One of the favourites for the for the Champions League. You would expect them to, to go on and win the Bundesliga in the second half of the season. So what a what a swan song it is for Eric Dyer at this stage of his career. Yeah, I mean, how has he managed that? I mean, basically, it's. <laughs> I mean, no disrespect to Eric Dyer, by the way. You know, good luck to him. Fantastic, good move, good player, nice bloke, and uh, a solid, solid player. But you wouldn't expect to see him at Bayern Munich, even at the height of his career. You never thought that was going to happen. The fact that when he's been discarded by Tottenham, he's ended up there is a bit strange. It does look, sound a little bit like um, his mate's gone to Bayern Munich, needs someone to hang out with. And said, could you bring over Eric, please? I'm a bit lonely. Um, I don't know. Maybe I'm just speculating. Um, it does happen. Then, I remember, do you remember Marion Pahars at Southampton? Mm. They signed one of his Latvia teammates. He was absolutely useless, uh, basically, to keep in company. I think the, Augustin Delgado, who famously got the hump and walked out of Southampton because his teammates didn't wish him happy birthday. They signed two Ecuadorians at the same time for the same reason. So you, you might have something there. Yeah, yeah. Listen, I, it's, it's happened personally. I mean, I've been working in a place and I've asked them, you know, to sign up my mate and, uh, you know, the rest <laughs> was history. Is that how Crookie got a career in media? No, no, not at all. Um, it, it worked. You know, you're not, you're not Marianne Pahaz's crap Latvian, mate, are you? By any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I hope not. I can't remember his name. Um, uh, I feel a bit harsh now. We'll just, yeah, we'll just call him that. It's fine. He's not going to ring us. Uh, Burnley against <laughs> Luton live on uh, uh, Friday night uh, on Talk Sport. Looking forward to that uh, six-pointer. Uh, Chelsea Fulham also live on uh, Saturday morning. We're on air at 11, 12.30 start. Um, and then round the grounds with Adrian Durham from 2.30 on Sunday, the Sunday session. All the goals that come in from the Premier League, the EFL, the Women's FA Cup, including Everton, Aston Villa, Manchester United, Tottenham and Queen's Park Rangers against Watford. We'll see you Monday. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. 
Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply.